Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the echo of holiness that has chimed throughout history. From the very moment of creation, when you spoke the earth into existence, through the the presiding of, of, of you over your people, Israel, as you led them out of Egypt and into the promised land, through the coming of the Messiah, our Savior Jesus, and now here in this age, as, as Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God and the Holy Spirit indwells the believer and is here with us, the presence of Christ, God, your holiness is echoed throughout all of history, and we say thank you, and we're in awe, and we join with that echo, we join with that chorus, and, and we cry out to you, God, you're worthy, worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive glory and honor and wisdom and power. God, you are great, and we thank you for meeting us here in this place. And Lord, some of us are coming this morning with, with different hurts, different uh, evidence of, of the world being broken, and, and God, I pray that if there's any who are sick this morning, if there's any who, whose loved one is, is struggling with illness or disease or disappointment or, or suffering or job loss or whatever it may be, God, that you would meet them in, in that place. God, if there's anyone that, that's here that's wondering, are you real? Uh, can I trust you? That they would see you as you are. You're the God of mercy, the God of grace, the God of hope. You're the risen one, Lord Jesus, the, the God who climbed up out of the grave. And that they can, in fact, trust you with everything that they are, everything that they know, because you are worthy, God. We love you, and we thank you for meeting us here, and we pray all this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. So good to see you this morning. Uh, I'm delighted to be here with you. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, let me encourage you, if you would, please turn in your copy of Scripture to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we're going to be in the last chapter of 1 Peter starting this morning. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. If anybody uh, doesn't have a copy of Scripture with them and you'd like one, our ushers would be happy to bring you one this morning. Uh, so just slip your hand in the air, no big deal, and they'll bring you one. If you don't own one, please just take that home and receive that as a gift from us to you. And uh, let me encourage you to begin to read it. Uh, God's Word changes people's lives all the time. And so uh, please let me encourage that. Well, I'll never forget standing in front of our congregation at our annual meeting about two years into my, business, into my ministry career. <laughs> I was 22 years old. I was just finishing up college and the church was voting on whether or not to extend an invitation to me to join their staff full time. And though the majority were in favor, there, there was a loud minority who voiced their disappointment over the last couple of years at the direction that I had been leading the worship ministry. And they were frustrated. They, they were frustrated with lots of things, uh, and they made it known, and they were frustrated with me personally, and they, they made that, that known as well. And though the church ultimately voted to extend an offer, I left that meeting uh, with, with, beginning with all kinds of hopes and expectation and excitement for doing what I thought God was calling me to do. I, I left that meeting in tears. I left that meeting really disappointed and frankly, really, really hurt. And I can blame the situation on several things. I, I, first, it was, it was the days of worship wars where, you know, you showed up with an acoustic guitar and you were in trouble almost automatically, right? I mean, that was part of the deal, all right? But, but second, uh, some of those people had a hard time with change, and that was part of the, the reality. And third, we had a new senior pastor at our church. The, the previous pastor was basically the founding pastor. He was wonderful, been there over 20 years. And so the new pastor and I started at the same time, and, and, and a lot of people were getting used to just different things, different values, different style, and all that. We were figuring it out together. But, but finally, 
as I look back on my leadership during that time, I was a young leader trying to lead a well-established congregation through some major transition, and, and perhaps I was ill-equipped, all right? And see, the bottom line for me, as I, as I reflect on that situation, is that I had a short-sighted notion of what leadership in the church uh, was to look like. I, I thought that leadership was a product of having the right position, of having the title of leader in the church. I thought that gave me somehow credibility and authority to make decisions on behalf of the church people. I, I thought that my title uh, gave me that privilege. And I thought that since I oversaw the worship ministry, everyone else's duty was, was to kind of fall in line, to just make it happen. But I didn't understand that as the church navigated through this, this significant time of transition, they were going to need something more from me than a title. <laughs> they were actually going to need leadership, not, not, not autocracy. I, I, was, I was pretty impatient as a 22-year-old. I'll admit, I was, I was impetuous at times. I made too many changes too fast. And, and some of those poor people didn't stand a chance with me at that stage. Now, if that church was going through transition that required uh, more leadership than what I had to give, certainly at that time, how much more the church in exile in the first century? Amen? And these people are, are dealing with some stuff. We've, we've wrestled with it. These are people that are, that are outcasts from Rome, sent to the, the, the outer reaches of the region. And here they are in a new land, a new place with a new faith based on, on Jesus Christ. And they're struggling. They're wondering, how do we do this? And as Peter writes to these elect exiles of the dispersion, he understands that they're going to face some pressures. In fact, there's, there's inklings that persecution is certainly uh, quick to come if it hasn't shown up already. Not, not worship wars, but, but actual war in some sense. Conflict, persecution. And Peter understands the critical need for godly leadership to help the church navigate through these perilous times. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter offers some sagely instructions to the leadership of this young church. And before we read those instructions, I can't help but think about Peter's history as he's, he writes. This now seasoned veteran, I'm convinced, was, was likely thinking back to his early ministry career. And of course, that brings us back to when Jesus was on the earth. Peter was a young leader with a big title, if you will, all right? He was in Jesus' inner circle. He, he attended the staff meetings. He was part of the conversations. In fact, he was one of three disciples that had a privileged place with Jesus, and he loved it. I mean, you could just tell Peter was enthusiastic. He was excited to be there with Jesus. He had all kinds of leadership potential. And yet, after all the buildup, after all the bravado, you remember, Peter, what he said to Jesus? When Jesus said, you know, Peter, you're going to deny me, he said, Though everybody else falls away, Jesus, I will not deny you. I'm with you. I'm going to be with you to the end. Peter was full of bravado, full of energy. And yet, a short time later, Peter denied Jesus, just as Jesus predicted three times. Three times. And at the moment when, when his leadership was most critical, at that moment when, when sort of the pinnacle of all of history is happening, Jesus is arrested, he's persecuted, he's suffering, he goes to the cross. What does Peter do? <laughs> he tucks tail and runs, just like everybody else. And so, as Peter writes to the elect exiles of the dispersion, I'm imagining that Peter was feeling a little bit like how I feel as I'm writing this message, okay, as I wrote this message this week. A little bit of shame, <laughs> A little bit of, you know, thinking back on those days and wincing at, at, at some of his ignorance on display in that early part of his leadership. And yet, not just that. 
Praise God. Not just that, but also a sense of deep gratitude that God wasn't finished with him yet. See, yes, Peter denied Christ. (laughs) He fell. But after the resurrection, Jesus met him in that fallen state, in that place of brokenness. And he he brought him to the other side of his shame uh, out there on the beach of Galilee. They, They ate some fish together. Jesus called him in to have a meal. And you know what Jesus did? He reinstated Peter into the ministry, this time with a brand new vision. And and I want you to listen. We're going to be in 1 Peter 5, but I just want you to listen to this story from John chapter 21, where Jesus reinstates Peter. We, We read this. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. See, church, Jesus had a job for Peter. Jesus wanted to build his church through Peter and through the other apostles, but Peter needed to be broken first. Peter needed to come to the other side of himself. He needed a new perspective. He needed to understand that leadership wasn't all about his title. It wasn't all about his position as a cabinet member in Jesus' entourage. Instead, it was about his willingness to suffer for the benefit of the sheep, (laughs) to feed Jesus Sheep. In those moments on the beach with Jesus changed everything for the Apostle Peter. He'd never be the same leader again. He'd still have his bumps. He'd still have to figure some things out along the way, but he'd be totally different. And it's with this background, I'm convinced that Peter writes to the, to the leadership of the church in exile. And I want you to follow along, if you would, as I read. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then we'll go on next week in, in five, 5 and 6. And so, some of you are asking, okay, uh, Andy, you, you spent a fairly significant amount of time talking about your own leadership. You're talking about Peter as a leader here. What, what relevance does that have to, to me? I'm not a pastor in the church. I don't plan to be one. I'm not an elder in, in the church. Uh, what, what gives with this? Where's the relevance? And with that, I, I'd give you two responses here. And I, and I, I hope this will encourage you to, to stay with me here this morning. First, 
I'm convinced that a passage like this helps us to understand what we ought to expect from the leaders in the church, from the eldership, from those who are, are, are called to give an exercise servant leadership in the church. Leaders aren't superheroes, amen? Anybody know that, right? Leaders aren't superheroes, all right? They're not infallible. But, but as a congregation, we can expect that those called to lead in the church meet a, a standard of leadership according to the word of God. And so as we choose elders, as we choose leaders, as we engage with, with them in carrying out our mission as a whole church, we ought to know what we can expect of them. And, and in fact, uh, leaders ought to know what's expected of them from a biblical platform, right? So there's that. But, but second... These leadership principles, they're not exclusive just to leaders in the church, just to elders, okay? They can actually be applied anywhere you have influence. (laughs) And I would venture to say, as I look out on this congregation, as I I look through the camera to those at at home, friends, if you're alive, if you're breathing, (laughs) you can have influence. You have influence. If you're a mom, you have influence with your kids. If you're a dad, you have influence with your kids, your family. If you're a coworker, a supervisor, a neighbor, a teammate, a coach, God has given you a sphere of influence in which you can exercise these principles. And see, all of us have a sphere of influence. Not all of us are elders in the church. But all of us have an opportunity to influence people for Jesus Christ. And so with that, I'm convinced this passage is relevant for all of us today. So let's dive into it. Are you ready? All right. Are you ready? Are you sure? I know it's like spring break week and all that stuff, but yeah. No, let's dive in. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Peter says this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock, of God that is among you. Now, it's important to establish who Peter is referencing here. Who's he speaking to specifically? And of course, it's elders here. The term elder is often used in Jewish literature and in a Jewish context for those who have leadership responsibilities within the community of God. Okay, It's not a new term in the New Testament. It's been around for a while. And so as Peter uses it here, he means not so much those who are of a certain age in the church, although often leaders in the church were a little bit older, but instead, He's speaking to those with leadership responsibilities within the New Testament church, all right? And it's important to note that though the offices of church leadership would become more clearly defined as the church continued to mature and grow, here, Peter, like Paul often does, uses the terms for leadership interchangeably. There are three terms in this passage that he's referencing. He's referencing elders, he's referencing overseers, and he's referencing shepherds. Okay? And these three terms are, are often used interchangeably to describe the different capacities, different functions of church leadership, but they're not necessarily articulating the offices of the church, okay? And, and so that's what's going on here. Peter's goal isn't to argue in this passage for a specific church governance. What he's doing is he's giving leadership principles. He's teaching leadership ethics for those who have the responsibility of leading within the church of God, regardless of their position. And so with that, uh, Peter identifies some key characteristics of a Christian leader that, that have nothing to do with their titles. All right. These are the marks of a Christian leader. And again, notice verse one. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Church, Peter clearly has a position in the church, 
Okay? If you remember back to our very first message, 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Peter identifies himself as an apostle. He was one of those who was with Jesus and speaks with Jesus' authority in such a way that the church understood that this is, this is authoritative, especially when he writes his letters. Their understanding, uh, Peter has a specific role as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And yet notice that, that Peter, as he references himself here, he doesn't play that card. And I love how he introduces himself here. He says, I, I'm Peter, a fellow elder. <laughs> I, I'm one of you. And in so doing, he emphasizes his shared responsibility with the other leaders in the church. You know, one of the things I had to learn rather quickly in church leadership is, is that those who actually want to lead don't do so in isolation. <laughs> That's not leadership. It doesn't work that way. And one of our values here at Cornerstone is actually one that I love. It's, it's, we, we call it, let's keep talking. Our value here at Cornerstone is that, that community actually makes us better. It makes us stronger. And so no matter who you are in the church, no matter what, what office you have or don't have, if, if you've got a question or a concern or, 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 or you want to bring something to the table, you have an opportunity to, to talk to, to me or to one of our pastors or our elders, anybody in our leadership. We want you to share. We want to engage with you. I'm not standing up here telling you everything you must do every time. I, I try to speak from the authority of God's word, but there's a lot of ways to, to run with that, isn't there? <laughs> and so our value is to, to do ministry in community as a team. It doesn't mean that leaders, leaders don't make decisions around here. Sometimes we have to do that, okay? And you as a congregation empower our leaders, our elders, our pastors, directors, our staff to make some decisions. But we don't do it in isolation. We do it as a fellowship. Our goal is to make decisions in the context of healthy community. Peter was a fellow elder, okay? And, and, and so am I with, with our elders and our staff here. And though not everyone is an elder, we all share a responsibility to carry out the mission of the church, amen? amen. And so with that, <laughs> let's keep talking. Let's figure out how can we do this together? How can we go? How can we see God at work? Leadership happens best in community. It's a shared responsibility. Now, notice the second part of verse 1. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Church, Peter was a witness of Christ's sufferings. He witnessed Christ's sufferings. His leadership credibility didn't come from his title, friends. It came from his proximity to Jesus. And so does yours and mine. If we want to influence people for Christ, our ability to do that comes from our proximity to Jesus. Sure, we, we weren't alive in the first century. We weren't, we weren't witnesses in the flesh of Jesus' crucifixion. Actually, uh, Peter wasn't either. He witnessed his suffering, but he wasn't necessarily standing there at Calvary. We didn't witness Jesus' crucifixion in the flesh. And yet, we have the word of God. We have Jesus revealed in scripture. We are witnesses. And the more we get to know Jesus, the more we understand his word, the more credibility as leaders in his church we have. Leaders, we demonstrate not our own acumen, not our own ideas, but instead we demonstrate Christ and him crucified. Edmund Clowney illustrates by referring to a famous painting in Germany. Uh, and, and I want you to listen to what he says. He says, Lucas Cranach's altarpiece painting in Wittenberg shows on the right side Luther preaching. Martin Luther, right? Oh, the great reformer. 
And on the left side, the people listening. And in the middle, Cronach has represented Christ on the cross. It looks like this. And see, the painting evidently intended to show that worship centers on the preaching of Christ crucified. The the people see not the preacher, but Christ. No doubt we should read that picture from the other side as well. And we flip it. The, The preacher must present Christ. And more than that, to know his people, he must know Christ. He must serve the flock in light of the cross. Their value to the Lord is the price of his blood. Paul said, if I boast, I boast in Christ and him crucified. Church, Christian leaders are marked by their witness of and to Christ's suffering. And when that happens, it's Jesus who ought to receive the glory. Now, listen now, Peter finishes verse 1. He says this. So, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. Church leaders, Christian leaders, are marked by their shared responsibilities, by their witness of Christ's suffering, and also as participants in Christ's glory. And the progression here from from suffering to glory indicates what Peter's been teaching all along. You remember remember that that formula we talked about several weeks ago? Christ was crucified, right? And then he was resurrected. And then he ascended into heaven. And now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God in glory, waiting to, to, to demonstrate his full glory upon his return. We read some beautiful scripture and we sang about it already this morning. Christ is coming back. And this progression has been this idea of of suffering, then glory. Suffering is a part of the experience of the church, both church member and church leader alike. But so is glory. So is glory. Karen Job says, uh, Peter presents suffering for Christ and the glory of eternal life as two sides of the same coin. And so he immediately describes himself in a second phrase, in apposition, as one who also shares in the glory about to be revealed. (laughs) In a Christian context, friends, in Peter's letter, you have suffering in Christ, but then you have glory. One follows the other. And church, a Christian leader isn't isn't marked by their title or by their acumen. They're, They're marked by their shared responsibility as witnesses of the suffering of Jesus. First in participating in that suffering, but also, praise God, as they participate in glory. These are the marks of the Christian leader, according to Peter. But now he offers not just marks, not just characteristics, but also principles for how to exercise that leadership. And that's where we'll spend the bulk of the rest of our time. Okay. So I want you to look with me at verse 2 here again. Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Peter says to the leaders, look, shepherd the flock. And this language, this imagery of, of shepherding, of, of, of a leader existing with a flock, uh, the, the sheep, this comes from the narrative of Scripture throughout, uh, from the early days of the Old Testament. Uh, we, we read in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah refers to us as sheep and as the Lord, as, as the one who, who, who intervenes, he, who lays down his life for those sheep. Of course, Psalm 23, one of the most famous passages in all scripture, says, the Lord is my, what? My shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Okay? God is referred to as our, our great shepherd. Ezekiel 34, 11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. This beautiful imagery in the Old Testament is established. God is our shepherd. The church is his flock. And, and the leaders in the church are God's under-shepherds. We're called to participate in that, that shepherding. Uh, we're called, as Peter, to, to feed and to tend the sheep. You remember what Jesus said to Peter on the beach that day? The fish were still tasty in his mouth. <laughs> and notice the qualifications here. Uh, Peter says that elders are to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. You catch that? They're not to shepherd the, 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 the flock of God in another city. <laughs> They're not to, 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 to seek out the, the kids on the other team, not, not the class down the hall. No, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. In other words, lead the ones you're with. You've heard the Beatles, right? Different application here, all right? Different phrase. Lead the ones you're with. And church, one of the real issues for the leaders in the church, and for leaders anywhere, I think, is to tend to think that the grass is greener on the other side, Right? Uh, we often think that. It's kind of our human nature. You know, if I could just get to the right church, if I could just get to the right organization, then everybody would be, would be doing great, and this would be perfect, and I wouldn't have these hassles anymore. And, and, and friends, I thought at my young age of leadership in the church that I referenced earlier, I thought that the church was responsible for my leadership challenges, and that if I could just find a different church, I'd be better off. I actually tried. <laughs> and God said, no, 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 you're not done there yet. Praise God. But what I came to realize, and, and, and what I came to realize in that process, is that the one who needed uh, refining more than anyone else was me. And the people that, that God had entrusted me to lead needed just that. They needed leadership. They needed servant leadership. Shepherding. <laughs> Not autocratic ignorance. Lead the ones you're with. That's the first principle. <laughs> Second, Peter says in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Do it willingly. Friends, if God has called you to leadership, remember that leadership is a great privilege. It's a great responsibility, yes, but it's a great privilege. Lead willingly, not under compulsion. Is, is there suffering involved in leadership? I can give testimony to that. Yeah, there is sometimes. But there's also glory. And so if God has called you to leadership that, that first begins with suffering and lead, then leads to glory, don't let your suffering go to waste. Consider it. Count it all joy when you experience trials of every kind. Because Jesus is using those trials. Willingly accept the responsibilities. And friends, I want to let you in on a, on a dirty little secret here. <laughs> That's maybe not dirty, okay, but it might be a secret. When we invite you to, to a position of leadership here at Cornerstone, maybe somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I think you'd be great as a dig-in teacher. I think you'd be great as a, a growth group uh, leader. I think you'd, you have potential to be an elder here or, or to, to, to lead a, a, in the missions team or, or whatever it might be. When we ask you to do those kinds of things, we don't want you to feel guilty so that you'll say yes. That's not the intent. 
And see, just as the Lord loves a cheerful giver, I'm convinced, according to Peter here, that the Lord loves it when leaders lead cheerfully, when they lead willingly. And so if you're called to lead here or anywhere else for that matter, lead because it harmonizes with the gifting and the passions and the skills and the design that God has placed in you. Lead because you can't think of doing anything else. I got to do this because God's gifted me with this, and I got to express this in a way that honors Him and glorifies Him and builds into His church. Do, lead because of that. Don't lead under compulsion, under guilt. Lead willingly, says Peter. So you can, you can remember that the next time I tap you on the shoulder or somebody else does, all right? And if you say, let's figure out what, what, what drives you, what gets you rolling, all right? I'm convinced when you're doing that, God's just going to bless the snot out of it. <laughs> Is that a pastor word to say? Bless the snot. I don't know. <laughs> There's a third principle here. Look at the end of verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Church, Peter recognizes that, that some leadership responsibilities in the church warrant enough attention that it's wise to, to, to offer that person a salary so that they can devote 100% of their vocational life to that, to that responsibility. Okay? So, so, I don't know if you knew this, but we pay some people in the church to do ministry here, all right? I, th I think I still get a paycheck. We'll see after this message, right? But Peter cautions. Leaders, don't, don't leverage your position in the church, which is often very public, to, to pad your pockets. Don't do that. Don't, don't take advantage of your role in order to get rich. And in church, in a, in a YouTube generation, it used to be the telemarketing uh, generation, right? It's YouTube now. But in a YouTube age where, where pastors and church leaders can rise very quickly in national and international prominence, Peter says, look, be careful. Don't lead selfishly. Instead, lead generously. Friends, our leadership ought to cost us something. It ought to cost us something. And if we're not willing to sacrifice, okay. But if that's the case, then I think Peter would say, then don't lead. If you're not willing to sacrifice, don't, don't lead. Jesus said in John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Friends, we're called to reflect. G Peter has talked about it over and over. First Peter, I think it's chapter 2, verse 11. We're to model after the good shepherd, not only in our following, but also in our leading. And it's not that we're to abuse our leaders. That's not what we want. Praise God. This is such a, a special church. You take care of your leaders here so beautifully, so well. We have a, a value, another value here at Cornerstone, health matters. And so we, we regularly check in with our leaders saying, hey, how are you doing relationally? How are you doing physically? How are you doing uh, mentally, spiritually? How are these things lining up for you? Are you doing all right? Because we're convinced that when, 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 when we're pursuing relational and spiritual and mental and physical health, that we're going to lead at our best. That, that's a good thing, both willingly and generously. Incidentally, that's why we have pastors take sabbatical around here. Uh, Pastor Matt is going to take a sabbatical this summer. I'm so excited for him. He's going to have a great two months. And he's not just going to be sitting around twiddling his thumbs, but, but he's going to be listening to the Lord. He's going to be resting. He's going to be spending time with his family. And, and, and our expectation is that creates some space for him to come back and fix all his junk. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> 
No, but he's going to come back. He's going to be refreshed and he's going to be ready to go for another seven years. I can't wait uh, for the other side of that. And, and it's great now. Guess what? You know, that, that's our desire. All right. Not to put pressure on Matt. All right. But, but, but we want our leaders to be healthy. And yet make no mistake. Our expectation is that our leaders also are willing to make sacrifices for the good of the flock. They're willing to represent Jesus who laid down his life for the sheep. To lead generously, even when it's at our own expense. Shepherds lay down their lives for the sheep. That's what they do. Fourth, the fourth principle. Look at verse 3. Peter says, leaders are to lead, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You know, another value we have around here is to keep an open hand. That matters to us. We want to we hold the precious things that the Lord gives us, including our leadership responsibility with an open hand. And that means that when we put opportunities in front of those we lead, we, we do so. Our desire is to do so with a spirit of generosity and an understanding of our shared responsibility, re- recognizing that a person always has the option to refuse what we're asking them to do. I want to illustrate, okay, as a leader here, I may have a conviction that for the benefit of the kingdom of God, what we really need to do more than anything else is paint the exterior of our building pink. (laughs) Go with me on this, all right? I may even think that I have a biblical case for it, all right? But I can present that opportunity in one of two ways. I can close my fist And I can demand that it be done. God gave this to me. This is what we're doing. And you better shape up or ship out or else, right? That's one way to do it. That's ugly though, right? Who who likes that? I I feel just awkward standing here like this. It's not what we want to do. We want to have an open hand. See, the other way we can do it is is we can offer that which we're, we're sensing the Lord leading us this way. In whatever we're leading, whether it's me as a senior pastor or you as a team leader or a growth group leader or whatever. Hey, I'm offering this to you with an open hand. And friends, I'm convinced that that insecurities make some leaders domineering and controlling. They're not actually sure their their ideas are are worth their salt. And so to compensate, they try to clamp down and control uh, their domineering. Peter says, don't do that. Don't be that way. That's not Christian leadership. And, And if the best thing for the church is that the building gets painted pink, fine. But if a leader is open-handed and doesn't make it about him or or her, when he presents an idea that that maybe isn't best for the church rather than feel threatened, if that idea is rejected, he can rejoice. Because praise God, it's not a good idea to paint the church pink, right? That's not what we're after. But sometimes a leader doesn't see that, and so he needs the community, that shared responsibility for us together to say, hey, have you thought about this? (laughs) Have you thought about that? I'm convinced that that Christian leaders are to keep an open hand with what God gives them. And I trust that the Holy Spirit works through the process. We don't all make decisions on everything around here. That's not expedient, is it? That'd be crazy. We can't all make decisions on everything, right? But you empower, you, you equip the elder board and the staff to make some of those decisions. But in all decisions, we're working together. We're working in coordination with each other. Let's keep talking. Health matters. Keep an open hand. All right? That's Christian leadership. And along with that, Peter invites leaders to be an example to the flock. (laughs) He says Christian leaders are to lead by example. Verse 3. 
Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Have you ever been around a leader who asked you to do something you just knew for a fact they, they would never do? That's frustrating, right? That's hard. That's disappointing. It's not motivating, right? Church, you ought to expect your leaders to lead by example. Not, not with perfection, praise God. Not with perfection. Not with absolute, all the time they just nail it on every front. You're going to catch your leaders messing up sometimes. But you can expect with humility that, that the leaders of this church are to the best of their ability and by God's grace demonstrating what it looks like to follow Jesus. And leaders, we, we ought to take that responsibility seriously, not just if you have the title pastor, okay? We ought to lead by example. Otherwise, we're, we're running around trying to create all these expectations that, that not even ourselves can meet. Certainly not the people that we're leading. Remember who, who did that? Who set the pattern for that? It's the Pharisees, right? Jesus called those guys hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs. Friends, I don't know about you, but I want to avoid that label. <laughs> we're to lead by example. We're to lead by example. And then finally, the last principle here, verse 4. Last two principles, actually. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter calls Christ the, the chief shepherd. <laughs> and churches, as much as I love you, and I really do, and as much as I love being one of your pastors, and as much as I, I feel a sense of kinship and even ownership over, over the direction and health of our organization, I have to recognize, I have to maintain, this is not my church. Cornerstone is not Andy Cavernon's church. It's not our elders' church. It's not your church. You know whose church this is? It's Jesus' church. That's his church. He's the chief shepherd. Our pastors and our elders and anybody else who leads here are under shepherds, under the authority of Christ. Friends, Christian leaders lead under authority. Edmund Clowney says that Christian leadership must be ministerial, not imperial. <laughs> right? It must be ministerial. We must have a ministry focus. The despised shepherd guarding his flocks in the fields, not a pompous churchman, is the model of pastoral oversight. Indeed, the model is the good shepherd, is Jesus, who gave his life for the sheep. Church, we're to lead as Christians, as under shepherds, under the model and the authority of Jesus Christ, of the good shepherd who laid his life down for his sheep. That's our calling. We're to go and do likewise. Finally, Peter says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. In short, you know, don't get caught up in the trappings of this world. Don't get so focused on the temporal. There, there are going to be highs and lows. And I, I'll tell you, I've experienced those in 21 years of, of, of church leadership. I've experienced some awesome highs. And some really tough lows. And Peter says, when you lead, recognize there's going to be suffering. But there's also coming a day when Jesus is going to return and you're going to be judged, not unto salvation if you're in Christ, because if you're in Christ, that deal's already done. But you're going to be judged according to your works. And God is going to see what you've contributed to his kingdom and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Peter says, Lead with the end in mind. Lead understanding that there is an unfading crown of glory that is yet to come. Church, remember, suffering produces gold. 
And crowns of glory do not fade. They, they remain forever. And if you're called to leadership, we're, we're to lead with the end in mind. We're to keep our eye on the prize. God is just. Yes, there'll be highs. Yes, there'll be lows. Jesus is coming back. And it's all going to be good after that. <laughs> He's going to reward your suffering. He's going to embrace you as you embrace him, as you live according to his principles. Friends, I wish I could go back to my 22-year-old self. Wouldn't that be great? How many else would love, love to do that? You don't, thank you. For some of you, raise your hand. That's great. I'd love to go back there and say, hey, hey kid, <laughs> I know you think you know, you know some things, but just relax a little bit and, and be aware of that which you don't know yet. And I love your passion because I was passionate, right? That's what I'd say to myself. I, I, wanted, I wanted to serve Jesus. I wanted Jesus to be glorified. But I would say, hey, slow down and remember, you're called to lead, not, not just a, a program, but you're called to lead people. And people actually matter here in this process. And so shepherd the people. Focus on that. And, and wait, on, wait on the program. It'll come. Is it important? Sure. These are my people. These are God's people. <laughs> Shepherd the flock. Feed his sheep. And I, I think back to, to, to those folks. They, they were so patient with me, so kind, ultimately. I got to stay there another two and a half years after that annual meeting. God didn't let me leave. And I loved it. <laughs> I, I got to the other side of some of those relationships. And it's, it's, it's just totally changed. I, I think if, if, if I, God would have let me go in the midst of all of that, my life would have been so different. My leadership would have been so different. I'm so grateful to that church and, and to those people and to, to my God. And, and frankly, I expect in another 20 years, I'm going to look back on my time here at Cornerstone and I'm going to think, boy, bless your heart, Andy. When you were in your 40s, you, you thought you knew some things. But guess what? God's good. And, and those people back during that time of COVID and all that stuff that you were wrestling, they were so sweet to you. And God's grace was so real to you. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. And though you might have thought you knew a thing or two, guess what? I had your back. And God is good. And so just, just relax. Shepherd the people. Friends, let, let's expect godliness from our leaders, okay? Let's help them be healthy and sacrificial and open-handed and all these things. And let's not only expect that of our leaders, but let's live those principles in our spheres of influence. As God gives us opportunity for influence at home, at work, in our neighborhoods, in our recreation, wherever we find ourselves, let's stand firm, all of us, in our responsibilities. Not as insecure autocrats, but as those who know our calling and who delight in fulfilling it as best we can by God's grace. Amen. Let's pray. God, you know that I love these people. And I, I feel such a, a deep closeness to, to, to them that I, I don't know if they sense or feel, and yet, God, I cer certainly do. And I'm so grateful for, for you bringing our family here to Cornerstone in 2018 and giving us the privilege of walking with this group 
through these days. And and we confess, Lord, it's been hard at times. It's been a challenge. And yet, God, you have proven yourself so faithful as our over-shepherd. You've shepherded all of us, God. You've nurtured our hearts and our spirits. And it's not just all the, the events that have happened in our, in our, our global community surrounding all the, 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 those kinds of things, but, but even in the, the very personal, very real, very private uh, challenges that we face as individual families, as individual people. God, you've been there the whole time. And God, I thank you for the leaders that I get to, to co-shepherd with as your under-shepherd, for our elders here, for, for our pastors and directors and the staff here and, and the people that are leading teams, the, 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 the missions team and women's ministry and men's ministry. And as soon as I start naming, I'm going to forget some, Lord, but, but you know who they are. Uh, all these teams that are serving you so faith, I thank you for the joy of, of laboring together in our shared responsibilities to fulfill the mission of the church. The great commandment, the great commission expressed in in our context by loving you, by growing people, by serving our city, and by reaching the world. God, thank you. And God, would you instill in us these marks that, that we are marked not according to the world's standards of leadership, but according to yours. And that these principles would play out in each and every conversation that we have. All for your glory, all for your benefit, God. We long for you to do a great work among us. We recognize that you are doing one already. Would you keep going, Lord? And would you make us humble and ready for all that you have? Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.